Raymond James has been located in Carroll Bank and Trust since 1997, providing a customized service for discerning clients serving West Tennessee and surrounding areas. We offer a team approach to financial planning, presenting you with a broader scope of expertise than you will likely find in any one person. Our clients are our main priority, which is why we work to understand your unique circumstances and create a distinctive plan that provides a roadmap for your financial journey. During this podcast series, you will hear from the financial advisors at CB&T Financial. Join in to learn more about making smart financial investments, market changes, and members of our community that are making a difference in their area. Welcome back to our next episode of our financial podcast. Uh, We really appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts and hopefully a little bit of guidance and maybe some uh, fun with you guys as we move along. And uh, we're we're excited this week. uh, We're going to look at uh, a market update. We've got uh, we're going to talk about the 529 plan and, and ways to save for higher education. And then we have a special guest later on today. So uh, we're looking forward to this episode. And uh, Matt, why don't you uh, give us a market update? Yeah, thank you, Mike. So after a strong spring and summer, the market has finally paused to catch its breath. And this is nothing alarming. It's it's usual after uh, having a strong rally like we've had. And while there are still headwinds in the market, such as high interest rates, an inverted yield curve and falling loan demand. The market still has a lot of things going for it. Uh, Inflation is easing. Uh, Last year it was 9%. This year it's fallen to 3%. And that is one statistic uh, that is misinterpreted by a lot of people. I'll tell my customers that sometimes and they'll say, well, it still feels like things are expensive. And, And they are. That doesn't mean prices are falling. It just means that a bag of potato chips is only going up 3% this year as opposed to 9%. It's not going up as fast as it used to be. So the interest rate increases from the Fed have been working and uh, uh, have been slowing inflation like they wanted it to. Uh, Our analysts, there are also a lot of technical indicators they're watching that have turned positive. And I won't bore you with all those, but that's a good sign for the market. Uh, We also have steady job growth and companies' earnings expectations are continuing to rise, which is a huge positive. One of our favorite analysts, Jeff Salt, his favorite saying is, companies' earnings are the mother's milk of all bull markets. So as long as those stay positive, that's a great sign. And one of my favorite statistics on the market currently is that we are 10 months past the October 2022 lows in the market. And since World War II, uh, there's been, once we get nine months past a major bear market low, the S&P 500 has been higher one year later, 12 out of 13 times. So that's a good sign that hopefully the worst is behind us and we continue to believe that. And I'll turn it on over to Nolan for our tip number three this week. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Of course, we've been trying to give tips uh, every time we do a podcast. So the tip for this week is... Learn everything that you can about college savings for higher education. Uh, Now you can even use them for um, secondary education, uh, elementary all the way up to 12th 12th grade in private schools. 
So um, just to kind of hit some of the high notes on uh, 529 plans, which are probably the most common college savings account, uh, you can use after-tax money uh, to put money back for a child or for yourself to, uh, to use for higher education or any other uh, tuition that, that you come along with that, uh, that qualifies under the 529 plan. And you can invest those dollars and hopefully gain a better rate of return than just putting it in some kind of a checking account or savings account uh, for your child at a later date. The, uh, the IRS currently allows up to an $85,000 contribution to a 529 without any further contributions for five years. That would be for single parent households, uh, for married couples, that jumps up to $170,000 uh, for that five-year period. If you break that down, uh, that would be $17,000 a year uh, that you can do. So those limits are actually really high. And for most people, that is, uh, I'm not saying it's not unattainable, but it's very hard to do. So um, anytime that you can save money uh, for future education, that is just gonna create a lot less headache with student loan debt, which we hear about all the time. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but I know it's in the trillions of dollars uh, as far as how much student loan debt there is out there currently. But there have been some significant changes made to how 529 funds are, uh, are able to be used if they aren't used for education. Uh, the SECURE Act 2.0, uh, which was done, uh, I think it was post-COVID, uh, they made some changes stating that instead of penalizing you for taking out unused 529 funds, you can actually, starting in January of 2024, roll over up to $6,500 a year into a Roth IRA for that beneficiary of the 529 account. Now, in years past, the only thing that you could do with unused funds was either take it out and get penalized or transfer those funds into another uh, family member's name uh, that, that is kin to that beneficiary. Now, the IRS is going to allow you to roll over uh, the maximum amount of per year to a Roth IRA to the an original beneficiary's name. Now, the plan has to be in place for 15 years. So you can't just start this and then start rolling it over into a Roth next year. It has to be in place for 15 years. And the maximum amount that you can roll over over time is $35,000. So it would obviously take uh, more than one year to do this. So, uh, but that is very, uh, a very, very good option for people that don't use 529 funds and you know it just gives you another option to start a retirement account for for the beneficiary of that plan uh, also if you get on the irs website uh, even raymond james has some uh, literature on our website pertaining to this act and how uh, how it's going to be be done now one other provision is that you cannot use funds that have been contributed to that plan in the last five years. So again, it has to be open for 15 years and no funds or gains can be used from the last five years. So 
I just really think that that is something that is very attractive uh, because we start these 529 plans for our kids, at least I have for mine, in the hopes that they would use those uh, for higher education, but sometimes, you know, they choose a different path. So this gives you a, uh, an opportunity to, to transfer those funds uh, penalty-free into maybe a, a, a better account that would meet your uh, beneficiary's needs. So um, along those lines, we do have a special guest today uh, that's going to uh, give us some insight on, uh, on funding for college and, and, and things like that. And I'm going to turn that over to Matt to introduce our special guest. Thank you for that tip today, Nolan. That would be very helpful for a lot of folks. Uh, today, our special guest is Ms. Sheila Ridley. Ms. Sheila is a counselor in the McKenzie School System and has lots of experience in helping students apply for scholarships. Thank you for joining us today, Ms. Sheila. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am a school counselor at McKenzie High School, officially retired in that capacity, but I am still working as the career coach at McKenzie High School, and Miss Ashley Lowe is my replacement, but I am filling in for her on maternity leave here for a few weeks. Um, for funding for college, it, it can be an overwhelming task. I know my daughter went to a UTM and then from there on to UT Health Science Center. And yes, that was a whole lot of money and quite frankly, a lot more money than two school teachers had, but we were able to, to kind of make that work. But one of the first things that we look at with students and their parents is the Federal Pell Grant Program. So this is for undergraduates only. Um, you can receive a maximum of up to $7,395 per year. Again, that is the maximum amount. That, is, that all is going to depend on your financial situation and the college that you're going to as well. So to apply for a Pell Grant, you are actually going to use the FAFSA application. That will be uh, how you apply, and that is all going to entail filling it out. You have to have your financial statements, um, and then, of course, it's based upon the number of students you have in college as well as financial uh, information as well. So when you get to that point, which, by the way, this is uh, the FAFSA is changing for this school year. Uh, that application typically opens up in November. It is not going to open until the 1st of January this year. So one change in that particular uh, program. But it is a free uh, application for federal student aid. So if you're filling this application out and it ever comes up for you to put your credit card information in, you know you're on the wrong site. Do not give them money uh, to fill out the FAFSA because if you're not paying a, a careful attention, you may be on the wrong site for that. So that is FAFSA.gov is the free site to use there, okay? Um, another step to that is you have to prove your identity for that. You will do an FSA ID. Uh, that must be done this fall for our seniors who are graduating in 2024. So as school counselor, one of the roles that we have, um, I have a senior parent night coming up and I will be dispensing this information, but they have to create that FAFSA ID. It has to be confirmed through the Social Security Administration and through Homeland Security. So that's a little bit of a change uh, from the past as well. But you cannot complete your FAFSA until those two things uh, confirm who you are um, to, to finish that. And then the Pell Grant's gonna be based on what they call the EFC, 
which is expected family contribution. And this will be a number that will pop up for you at the end of completing your FAFSA. This is not like how much you owe. This is just a number that uh, they use to, to, to help calculate how much your student could be eligible for for the FAFSA. So Pell Grant 1 grant means free. So that's free money that you don't have to pay back. And then second is scholarships. In your scholarships, there are some local scholarships for our students, um, but most of your scholarship money is going to come directly from the university that you're going to. With addition, if you're staying in Tennessee, you could be uh, Tennessee Hope eligible uh, for scholarship money as well. And, and as I said, uh, you know, a lot of our kids end up going to Bethel University, which is so good uh, to McKenzie students. They're great. Um, and then UT Martin gets a lot of our students. Uh, the TCAT here in McKenzie gets a lot of our students. And then Jackson State gets a few of our students as well. We have a small percentage that will go out of state, uh, but mostly our kids stay in state for that. So at UT, the cost for tuition at the University of Tennessee at Martin for four years, if you're staying on campus, room and board, that's $76,000, okay? That's a huge amount of money over four years. The tuition alone is 10,000 plus per year, and then your room and board there is, is 9,000 per year. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of money. So UTM, their scholarships are primarily based on a GPA plus an ACT. So that is why we really at McKenzie High School stress ACT all the time to our students because the higher the ACT, the more money you get. Thus, parents are very happy with that as well. Okay, there is a UT Promise. Um, UT Promise is on the heels of Tennessee Promise, which we'll get to in a second, but that is a, a full tuition if you qualify for that. And that is your household income has to be $60,000 or less and total assets $75,000 or less. Bethel, the cost of tuition at Bethel, which is a private school. So Bethel, obviously a little more expensive. Tuition there is over 16,000 per year. Plus, if you're living on campus with room and board, that's almost another $10,000 per year. So over four years, it's $103,000 to attend Bethel University. That's a whole lot of money there. But Bethel is great, as I said earlier, to our kiddos. There's lots of scholarships there. They're beginning scholarships. If you have a 2.5 GPA and an 18 ACT, you can be considered for scholarships there. Okay? Um, Bethel also has a Bethel Promise, as UT Martin or the UT system has a UT Promise. Bethel has a Bethel Promise, again, covering tuition, uh, not room and board, but it does cover tuition. Um, so Bethel also offers an associate's degree. So it is very easy for our students to end with an, a free associate's degree from Bethel University. And then if they wanted to go on and complete that uh, bachelor's degree, they could stay at Bethel to do that, or they may want to transfer somewhere else after that, okay? Um, the TCAT, McKenzie TCAT, gets lots of our kiddos as well. 
They are based on trimesters, where your colleges are based on semesters. So a trimester at a TCAT is all based upon hours, and those hours depend on the program that you're taking. Maybe you're doing welding or you're doing uh, HVAC. Uh, any of the programs that you're doing there, you have a certain number of hours to complete in order to get your certificate there. So if you took the maximum hours for a trimester, that's 340 hours, okay? 340 hours will run you about $4,000 per year, plus you've got books and you've got meals on top of that. With the TCAT, you've got Wilder NAFI money that helps you pay for that. The Wilder NAFI money is $2,000 per year academically. So you're, you know, almost half of that is paid if you're taking the maximum hour load. So you don't, you may not do that and have everything taken care of. Jackson State Community College, about 50 miles down the road. If you are a full-time student there, you're at 12 hours, and that's gonna run you $2,200 per semester times four semesters. You're looking at $9,000 there, plus your books and, and obviously gas driving back and forth, but you can receive Tennessee Promise there. Tennessee Promise is a last dollar scholarship, and that means that after all other scholarship money is applied to your tuition, if you are still short, then the Tennessee Promise money kicks in, and that can help you get that tuition part covered. Now, again, Tennessee Promise is tuition only. It does not cover fees. It does not cover books or anything else but tuition. And then in Tennessee, we are fortunate enough to have the Hope Lottery Scholarship, the HOPE Lottery is based upon GPA. You must have a GPA of 3.0 or higher, or you have to have an ACT score of 21. Not both of those, you have to have one or the other, a 3.0 GPA or a 21 ACT score. And that is $4,500 for the first two years, and then it jumps up to $5,700 for year three and four. So that's a total of $20,400 over the four years if you're going to a four-year university. And then the last thing that I talked to my parents about is grant, excuse me, loans. Um, loans is kind of a dirty word when you're looking at tuition. It's because if you can come out without student loans, that's the best. You have uh, subsidized loans, which the government helps pay taxes while you're in school. And then you have the unsubsidized loans, which you have to start paying back. And then the last thing I want to mention is dual enrollment. Uh, just because that is a great opportunity for your student to take college classes while they're in high school. Uh, the state now allows you up to 10 dual enrollment grants. Bethel is who McKenzie High School works with primarily. Bethel will let us, uh, the, the grants cover five classes and then Bethel will scholarship the remaining part of the 10 classes so that at McKenzie High School, your student could earn 16 college hours free, which the average full-time student is earning 12 per semester. So you are already almost into a sophomore year situation just by taking dual enrollment classes in high school. Sheila, thank you so much for taking this time to come and share this very important information. Hopefully our listeners will share this with their students, grandchildren, uh, different uh, students in their life. One thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is the percentage that scholarships usually 
uh, pay for an average student around our area. And what, you know, I, I, I would venture that most student, students don't get everything paid for. And, and the reality of uh, what expenses they will have. And, and I guess from your perspective, Sheila, what percentage do you think is typically covered for an average student of higher education expenses? Okay. A couple of factors that go into that. Uh, no, no scholarship. Well, let me back up. No, most scholarships are not going to cover 100%. Okay. So, as I said earlier, Bethel is extremely good to our students. And, and quite frankly, if they hey, they will email me or call me and say, hey, Miss Ridley, I have a new scholarship available. You have any of your students you might think would be interested in that. But again, rarely do those cover everything. So you're going to have to look for some outside sources. So hopefully um, that you as a parent are preparing yourself and setting some money aside weekly, monthly, yearly, however you want to do that to help be prepared. Um, I, I know in my personal situation, uh, Coach Ridley and I had $30,000. That was what we had, that we had been saving uh, from our daughter's birth, so this is what we have to contribute to. Um, fortunately, you know, my daughter scored a 31 on the ACT, and constantly I heard everybody was telling me, oh, she's going to school for free, and I'm like, no, she's not. That is an awesome ACT score, but that ACT score getting you a full ride anymore is not the case. So there's so many other factors that come along with that. So we were fortunate enough that she was able to get enough scholarships at UT Martin to cover her tuition. So the rest of that, after she moved off campus, that was our responsibility. So again, you know, we had that money saved, but you know, a rule of thumb that I learned from financial aid uh, conferences forever ago is for parents to never borrow over $10,000 per year for an undergrad degree. I mean, if you do that, that's $40,000 right off the bat. And then if your student is looking to go even more and look for a doctoral degree, now you're talking really major money. Um, so you don't want to send them to that uh, educational source and then have to have a $40,000 undergrad payment, plus now we've got a grad payment as well. So any type of savings, I know there are specific, and maybe y'all can allude more to specific savings accounts and savings programs that uh, are specifically geared toward uh, having this money available. So it, it is something, and quite frankly, I mean, if you could do this, the earlier you start better, uh, because, you know, if you start at birth, that's 18 years that you've got some type of savings going until your child starts college. So that can, that can grow uh, pretty substantially over that number of years. So even, you know, anything I suggest that you talk to uh, your financial advisors, obviously here uh, is a great resource. So you all are the best. Um, so you've got great resources here that, that I'm sure that y'all would welcome phone calls anytime to go over the options that parents have to start savings for their college, their kiddos' college education. We sure would, Sheila, and thank you so much for that perspective because uh, starting early is the key, and thankfully through this podcast, we'll have some listeners that are either parents or grandparents and uh don't be overwhelmed by, by some of these figures that we've thrown out. If you start early, you can uh, substantially uh, com contribute 
to helping to pay for your child's education or your grandchild's education. So we, we thank you for those comments, that perspective. And uh, yes, of course, if we uh, can help you to set up a plan like Nolan talked about earlier, the 529 or other college savings vehicles or higher education savings vehicles, we would more than welcome the opportunity to do that. So thanks again, Sheila, for taking the time to be with us. Yes, thank you. And uh, I think that's going to wrap us up for today. I, I think it's going to be a lot of information for people to digest. I know it is for me because my kids will be there in about 12 years. So <laughs> um, thanks again. And we look forward to uh, coming back to you with our next installment of our podcast. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA and SIP. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated. Carroll Bank and CBT Financial are not registered brokers or dealers and are independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Investment products are not deposit, not FDIC, NCUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk, and may lose value. Any opinions are those of CBNT Financial and are not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. The information contained in this email does not purport to be a complete description of the securities, markets, or developments referred to in this material. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Future investment performance cannot be guaranteed. Investment yields will fluctuate with market conditions. Investing involves risk and you may incur a profit or loss regardless of strategy selected. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. The opinions of Sheila Ridgely are independent from and not necessarily those of RJFS or Raymond James. The S&P 500 is an unmanaged index of 500 widely held stocks that is generally considered representative of the U.S. stock market. Investors should consider before investing whether the investors or the designated beneficiary's home state offers any tax or other benefits that are only available for investment in such state's 529 savings plan. Such benefits include financial aid, scholarship funds, and protection from creditors. As with other investments, there are generally fees and expenses associated with participation in a 529 plan. There is also a risk that these plans may lose money or not perform well enough to cover education costs as anticipated. Most states offer their own 529 programs, which may provide advantages and benefits exclusively for their residents. 
The tax implications can vary significantly from state to state.